just been given a note uh, that Kyle Holt isn't feeling well and he is on his way to the hospital. So let's be mindful of him and pray that all goes well and we'll hope to find out more when our service is over this evening. Pilate asked the question in John chapter 18, verse 37 and 38, what is truth? He certainly isn't the only one to ever ask the question. Many people have asked that question and are still asking that question even today. What is truth? How do we find it? How do we know it? How do we apply it? But I wonder if Pilate were here today, if he wouldn't also ask, is there anyone who loves truth? Is there anyone who cares about truth? Does the truth have any real value to people today on the whole or even just a few individuals? Is there anyone who knows it, who loves it, and who truly cares about truth? The Bible tells us that God is a God of truth and that as such he desires that we be people of truth. Psalm 51 and verse 6 You desire truth in the inward parts of man, David would say. 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 4, Walk before me in truth, God would say to Solomon. Love, peace, and truth. Zechariah chapter 8 and verse number 19, Love rejoices in truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 6. God is a God of truth, and God wants his people to be people of truth. But the trouble is that the people of God live in a world that typically tends to hate the truth. John chapter 8 and verse 44, as Jesus spoke to the unbelieving Jews, he said, You are of your father the devil. He said he is a murderer, and he is a liar, and he has been from the very beginning, he says, because the truth is not in him. In John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, Jesus described those who are in darkness. And he said that those who are in darkness hate the light. And the reason that they hate the light is because it exposes the darkness for what it is. The light shows men that their deeds are evil. And in Romans 1 and verse 18, Paul would talk about those whose lives suppress truth. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all un. Uh, unrighteousness and uh, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, and the King James Version says, who hold the truth and unrighteousness. But the idea of it is not holding as in you hold something in your hand, but rather hold it as in you hold it down. You suppress it is the idea. And so through their unrighteous living, because they hate the truth, because they hate the light, they prefer the darkness, Paul says they suppress the truth or they hold it down. That's the reality of the world in which we live. So with that thought in mind, I want to suggest three points tonight as it pertains to truth. Number one, truth must be proclaimed. Number number two, truth must be applied. And then number three, truth must be demanded. Let's talk about the first one. Truth, first and foremost, must be proclaimed. And it must be proclaimed by God's people because if we won't, who will? The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. If truth is not to be found in and proclaimed by the church, 
who is described as the pillar and the ground of truth, then who will proclaim it and where can it be found? Here are some reasons why the Bible will say that truth must be proclaimed by God's people. First of all, because there are far too many people who are held captive by lies. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and following, Paul describes those who would not heed the message of the gospel that he proclaimed. And he begins to talk about how if, if they don't listen, if they don't obey, well, it's not due to anything that we did in a dishonest or in an underhanded kind of way. But he says, here's what it is. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And listen to this. In who, uh, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. He says, um, who do not believe the truth, lest the light of the gospel of the uh, glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 25, the Apostle Paul said that the servant of the Lord must not strive, but that he must be gentle, and that he must be patient, and that he must be able to teach, so that he can patiently help those who are caught up in the snare of the devil to untie the knot in which they have found themselves. You see, the reality is that the God of this world, as he is described in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, has a great deal of influence on the people of this world. Remember that the Bible describes the devil as a roaring lion who walks about seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8. And so there are a lot of people who have been and are in the process of being devoured by the devil and being devoured by his lies and, and being devoured simply by the power and the overwhelming, uh, the overwhelming arm of, of darkness and deceit. And so the Bible says that truth must be proclaimed because there are too many people who are held captive by, by lies. Here's another reason. Truth should be proclaimed because truth sanctifies. You remember John chapter 17 and verse 17. The Bible says, sanctify them by your truth or by thy truth. Your word is truth. We talked this morning about sanctification and how sanctification has to do with being set apart. It is related to being holy and it, it carries with it the idea of being pure, of being clean. And the ultimate goal of it is that when a person stands in a state of being sanctified, that they are able to stand in fellowship with God. They can stand in his presence. So that makes truth of the importance of truth paramount. Because Jesus affirms in that passage, John 17 and verse 17, that without the sanctifying, cleansing power of the truth in my life, I have no hope of ever being able to stand in the sight of God and be in his fellowship. We ought to proclaim truth because it sanctifies. Here's another reason. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. The Bible says that truth purifies. He says, seeing that you have purified your hearts... Uh, through obedience to the truth, in sincere love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Notice, you have purified your heart. How have you purified your hearts? You purify your hearts through obeying the truth. Truth ought to be proclaimed because it purifies. Here's another. Truth ought to be proclaimed because it liberates. In John chapter 8, Jesus describes those who are caught up in the captivity of sin... And he said, whoever 
uh, commits sin is a servant of sin. It's similar to what Paul will explain in Romans chapter 6 when he contrasts the relationship between the Christian and sin. And he talks about the fact that if you have obeyed the gospel, you are therefore dead to sin. And so sin no longer is to reign over you. Sin no longer rules over you. You don't answer to it. It's not a tyrant or a dictator over your life any longer. You've been set free. Jesus says, whoever commits sin is a servant of sin, John chapter 8. But then in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, he says, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Set me free from what? Set me free from the captivity of sin. Set me free from being a servant of Satan. Set me free from the pain of death. We ought to proclaim truth because it liberates. We ought to proclaim the truth because truth saves. James chapter 1 and verse number 18 James says this about truth. He says, of his own will, he begot us or he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creature, of his, uh, uh, of his creatures. Truth saves us. Truth strengthens us. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 15, that famous passage about preaching the truth in love, it's found in a context that has to do with the uh, spiritual strength and stability, the spiritual growth of the New Testament church. It is contrasted with those who would teach uh, error and who would cause problems and doctrinal instability in the two, uh, two or three passages, passages that come before it. And so the Apostle Paul says, as opposed, to, uh, as opposed to being overwhelmed by lies and deceit and things that are going to harm you, Rather, speak the truth in love. Why? Because it strengthens us. Truth helps us to be the people that God would have us to be. Why should truth be proclaimed? Because too many people are living a lie. Too many people are living their lives as those who were held captive by sin. As those who are unsanctified and unpure. Those who are enslaved. Those who are lost. And those who are dying. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. If we won't proclaim the truth, then who will? Second, truth must not only be proclaimed, truth must also be applied. You might think of this point as an inward point. If the first point about proclaiming the truth is an outward point, that being our responsibility toward those who are without Then think about this one as uh, our responsibility toward ourselves, toward those of us who are within. Remember that the Bible teaches us that hearing God's word and not doing it is basically useless. James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. "Be Be doers of the word and not hearers only, James says, deceiving your own self. He talks about the fact that if a person puts themselves, uh, puts themselves in a position to hear God's word on a regular basis over and over again, that's all well and good. But if they never actually apply what it is that they hear and what it is that they know, then they've deceived themselves. They may think that they're in a right relationship with God, but in reality they're not. So hearing without doing is useless. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, Jesus asked, and do not do the things that I say? Luke 6 And verse number 46. So I want us to look at some passages that are familiar to us, and I want us to notice just simply the importance of applying what it is that we hear. 
Let's start in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 for a moment. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 6, the Apostle Paul begins to talk about those things that he has heard and is hearing in regard to the Christians at Thessalonica. And this is what he says. He says in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 6, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need say anything. Now stop right there for a moment and notice that Paul is talking about the fact that this congregation has such a strong working faith, not just a hearing faith, but a working, a doing faith. He says that when we travel from place to place, we don't have to say, let us tell you about the church at Thessalonica because they've already heard about you and they already know what you're doing. But then he gets more specific in verse 9. What is it exactly that they've heard about them? Here's what they've heard. For they themselves declare concerning Uh, declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and listen to this and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God you know that's really a magnificent statement when you think about it in context of the first century world no question Paul is writing to those who are of a Jewish background but there's also no question that he's writing to those who are of a pagan a Gentile background That's what he has in mind when he says you turn to God or you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Recognize that to the pagans in the first century world, idolatry and paganism, that literally is what their life revolved around. There was a God for absolutely everything. And if anything, the slightest thing started to go wrong in town or in the community, people immediately started looking for those who for whatever reason or in whatever way had offended the the gods, the little g-gods. Every part of their life, every fabric of their life was tied into idolatry. And yet Paul says you gave it all up. That is applying the truth. They didn't just hear, come out from among them and be ye separate. They followed through. They didn't just hear, turn away from idols and serve the living and true God. They didn't just hear it. They didn't even just believe it. But they followed through with it. They applied it. Let's look at a different example. How about one that we're familiar with in Ephesians chapter 4? You remember in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 how we have this contrast beginning in verse number 17 and going on down through verse number 24 between the old and the new man. And he talks about how the old man, that he uh, walks in the futility of his mind He talks about the ignorance and the blindness of his heart, who being past feeling has given themselves over to uh, to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. If you look closely at the beginning of the passage, verse number 17, he says, I'm telling you that you should no longer walk. What does he mean, no longer walk? What does that imply? Well, it means they used to do it. He's saying, I don't want you to live like the Gentiles. You used to live like the rest of the Gentiles live. I don't want you to live like that anymore. I want you to stop. I want you to change. In fact, he says, that's what you've heard even from the beginning. Verse number, um, verse number uh, 20 and 21. You've not so learned Christ, if indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. The idea is that from the very first time that you heard the gospel, and that ongoing until every time you hear the gospel, you hear the same message over and over again, and it's this. Change your mind. Don't live like those in the world around you. Change the way that you live. 
Be renewed, he says, in the spirit of your mind. But what's interesting about it, though, is he not only talks about how they're just to change their mind, but he talks about the action that's going to come from it. In verse 25, through the end of the chapter, you have a section that follows contextually what he says in verse 21 through verse 24. Because they have been called to change their mind and because the gospel calls all people to change how they think and how they live, then practically speaking, here's what the new man looks like. You put away lying and speak truth to your neighbor, verse 25. You're angry, but don't sin. Don't give place to the devil, verse 26, 27. If you were stealing, you stop stealing, verse number 28. If you were speaking in a way that was corrupt, you stop speaking in a way that's corrupt, verse number 29. You don't grieve the Holy Spirit, verse number 30. You put away bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and, and, uh, away from you and all malice. And, and you're kind to one another. You're tenderhearted and you forgive one another, even as God, in Christ's sake, forgave you. See, there are a number of contexts throughout the Bible that are just like this one where the writer will say, the gospel says, change your life. And then just right after that, he'll say, now, here is what that will look like in practical terms. Do you remember when James said in James chapter 1, when he described the word of God as a mirror, whosoever looks into the perfect law of liberty... James says, he's talking in that same context about being hearers and doers. And basically what he says is that the person that looks into the, the mirror of God's word, and uh, when a person looks into the mirror of God's word, they ought to be able to see, they ought to be able to see them, so that God's word is going to show them for who they really are. That's the idea. Well, as it pertains to applying the truth, we ought to really take a good look in the mirror, probably on a regular basis. We ought to look closely at these passages where we find specific application like this one, like 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9, like 1 John chapter 2 and verse 4 and so many others. And we ought to examine our lives. Think about our speech. Think about our level of truthfulness. Think about how we treat our brethren. Think about uh, our sacrificial attitude. Think about our giving or lack thereof. Think about our worship or lack thereof. Whatever the case may be, whatever the Bible has to say, if we're only hearing it and we're only thinking about it, but we're not actually applying it, then we're not doing ourselves any good. Truth has to be proclaimed, but it also has to be applied. Here's number three. Truth needs to be demanded. We ought to recognize the value of truth. Proverbs 23 and verse 23 says, Buy the truth and sell it not. We ought to recognize that truth is one of the most valuable and one of the most precious commodities that exist in this world. And so we ought to value it and we ought to regard it highly. We ought to think about truth, meditate on it. Remember Philippians 4.8 from this morning. In that list of things that are good and holy and pure and so on is also the word true. Think on or give your mind over, your, your thoughts over to things that are true. The idea is meditate upon them. Fill your mind with truth. We ought to speak truth. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 25. We ought to bind truth around our neck. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 3. That's the idea of application. We ought to seek truth more than anything else in this world. We ought to desire truth. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. 
I don't know about you, but I don't really appreciate being lied to. In fact, it angers me. I don't like when a person stands in, in front of me and lies. I don't like when a person lies to me on the phone. I don't like when they lie to me through a text message or email. I don't like when they lie to me through the television news. I hate it. And I think that we all should. We all should have within us this growing desire to love truth more every day and then as a consequence of that, hate lying more every day. If we love truth and we value it for what it really is, then we ought to abominate and abhor anything that is contrary to it. So we ought to demand that truth is preached from pulpits and taught in Bible classrooms. We ought to search out truth instead of just taking a person's word for it. And whatever the venue or the, whatever the circumstance happens to be, we shouldn't just assume that what a person is saying is true, but rather we ought to do our own investigating. We ought to do our own fact-finding so that we can be sure what the truth actually is. There are a lot of folks in this world who would suggest that it's not possible to know that truth really isn't attainable, and that it's not all-knowable, that it's subjective to your experience and your time and your place, but that's all false. Truth is objective. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. Truth is truth. It's always been that way. It continues to be that way, and it will continue to be that way even on into eternity. Our job, remember, Pilate asked the question, what is truth? Our job is not just to ask the question, what is truth, and then open up God's word and find it. Our job is to love it. Our job is to embrace it. Our job is to be people who are defined categorically as people who are people of truth and of the truth. Jeremiah described a tragic situation in Jeremiah 9 and verse number 3 when he said there are no longer anyone, there's no longer anyone to be found who is valiant for truth. No one fights for it anymore. I hope that can never be said about us. We ought to love the truth. We ought to fight for the truth. We ought to demand the truth. Proclaim it, apply it to our lives, and love it because of the power that it contains. This evening, do you stand in a position where you have a desire to obey the truth? We'd love to help you to do that. The Lord's invitation is extended, and maybe there's someone here this evening that has a desire to become a child of God. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you're ready to repent of your sins and confess your faith. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. We'd love to help you in doing just that. Maybe tonight you're a Christian and you're thinking about your life and you're thinking about the application of truth and you say, you know what, I've not been doing the best job in applying the truth of God's word to my life and so I need to be better. Can we help you? Can we pray for you and with you? Can we encourage you? If you have any need at all, we invite you to come and let it be known while we stand together and sing the invitation song.